Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitters and join in on the conversation. Peace. Shane, are you watching Squid Games? Uh, I'm not watching Squid Games because it sounds horrifying and I don't really do horror. So I do this thing where sometimes a new show will come out and I won't watch it right away. And it'll be like a hit and everybody in the moment will be like, oh, you got to watch this show. And then that makes me want to watch it less. I mean, in the fact that it's a, there's only a single season, that tends to shy me away from any show. I feel like that's what I did with the Harry Potter books. Everyone was like, Harry Potter. And then it was like a month before the last book came out. And I read all the Harry Potter books. <laughs> I tried to do that with Lost and Game of Thrones. I, I resisted Lost for a long time. And then you remember, we all started watching the season, the last season at ja, Justine's house. I thought it was Jeffy's house. Years ago. Jocelyn did like the the series finale party. I remember going to that. And I remember going to that only after watching the last like 10 episodes. Because that's all I could find. <laughs> I remember our friend was so obsessed with the show that he actually broke his phone the night of the finale. Because he didn't <laughs> want to be bothered. So he threw his phone across the room. Shattered it. God. It was pretty hilarious. That is That is kind of funny. Especially since back then it was probably like a... iPhone 2. Samsung. <laughs> Not a Samsung. Was the, what was the phone before Samsung? I don't know. I'd, I'd never had, I've never had an iPhone, and back then I probably had something shitty. I had a Razor. That was my shit for a really long time. And it was pink. It was dope. Carly had the second one. The second Razor. Like when they did the Razor and the Razor 2. Yeah. The buttons fell off of it. Hi, everybody. Well, if you haven't noticed today, uh, Shane and I are going to be doing something a little different. We are going to have a fun episode where we just talk about um, media that we're consuming. Specifically, we're going to talk about spooky media. Ooh, like the Hocus Pocus 2 movie that's coming out? God, no. What do you mean, God, no? Hocus Pocus is a Halloween classic. Okay, okay. I I have something to admit. You can probably name a like family-friendly Halloween movie, and chances are I never saw it. However, you can probably also name any like obscure horror movie that came out between like 1988 and like today, and I've probably seen it. Here's the thing: <laughs> there is absolutely no way in hell that I could ever do that. I know this is going to be an interesting conversation. I, I just have this. Ob- <laughs> I know I have an aversion to anything like gory and like genuinely scary because here's my motto on it. If reality isn't scary enough for you, open your damn eyes. If I'm consuming content, I want it to be enjoyable. Uh, I mean, I get that to a point, but also for some reason, and I don't even know why I just, as a kid was exposed to more of 80s late 80s early 90s like 
horror movies than I probably should have been. And I'm not even I'm not even sure how it happened. My parents were really protective about like what I saw and what I and watched. You weren't very rebellious. And I wasn't. No, I just happened to be in situations where I was like elsewhere and watching Chucky or like there was this there was this uh, old movie that had a bunch of other stories in it. And one of the one of the stories in it was about like this like doll, like this African doll. It was Chucky, but like <laughs> And see, I'm like I'm already out. Like that's the thing. I watched Chucky as a kid. I watched a number of those like Gremlins. I watched sure, that. Sure. I was in on that. And I've seen that a number of times. There's like there's like those borderline uh films that are like technically family friendly, but way spookier than anything that they would make family-friendly now, like that they would label as family-friendly now. So you have like Gremlins, you have like Pet Cemetery. Like those movies were legitimately like scary. Ooh, speaking of Pet Cemetery, I had a cat that looked like that cat. <laughs> Are you a zombie cat? And I don't know, like would you consider The Good Son a, like a horror scary movie? That movie creeps me out. The Good Son. With Macaulay Culkin, and he, like, shoots the cat, and he drops oh, the dummy right, right. off the bridge. I mean, creepy kids are always creepy to me. Like, even if the point is, like... it's a good point. Like, there's, like, a newer one. Um, uh, We got to talk about Kevin, where he, like, he brings a bow and arrow to his school and, like, shoots a bunch of kids with the bow and arrow. But the lead-up to that, he's just, like, the most... Psycho it's like the birth of a psychopath. It's really weird and like unnerving to watch. And yeah, I would definitely put it into like the category of movie that's not necessarily scary, but like kind of scared me because it was like a creepy kid. Yeah, like there are there are levels of those movies that I can actually not only just stomach but genuinely enjoy. But once you start getting into like the backwards walking contortion <laughs> out of a well through a TV type stuff. My mind is too gullible <laughs> for that. I don't consider myself like a horror head or a horror freak. I don't know what like the term is. A horror aficionado. I'm down for horror head. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I, I tend to be very scrutinous when it comes to horror movies because like, jump scares are one thing but if you can legitimately scare me with like when the first paranormal activity movie came out oh yeah the special effects in that movie were like because it was a found almost like a found footage or security tape film and the way they pulled off all of the effects just it felt real like it felt like you were watching these videos a documentary like, yeah like this of stuff. this yeah. family being haunted by this entity those are the ones that always get me too. That are always like they're like quasi religious demons, but like real, like real demons. If that makes any sense, they're like demons that don't abide like the mythology of the Bible. They're just like, no, we're just like otherwise demonic. But you also have this <laughs> whole separate genre of horror movie where, like, the M Night Shyamalan style, where it's spirits and it's ghosts but it's always this stupid fucking human twist where it was like <laughs> nope they were living next to a highway like i don't want to see this movie old that's coming out because 
I just I'm the ending is going to be so dumb. It's going to be like the island had fungus spores that made them trip, and they were really there for ninety years. And it's just like I don't, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I I'm kind of curious, but like not curious enough. Did he do signs? Yeah, man, that was Shyamalan, but that was also wasn't a, like a horror movie. But I, I know you were talking the highway one. Um, I have a story about. So you were talking about the village, right? Yeah. Like, fuck that movie. Okay, so we went and saw that movie. Not to, like, get completely off topic. We went and saw that movie. I went with my my friends of mine, you know. And we literally, the first time she made it through the woods completely blind, we were like, okay, like, all right. But the second time, we literally walked out. We literally walked out of the theater. We were like, okay, this is, this is I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> like, I, yes, I know blind people are capable. But she, she had never been there before. Like, walking through a forest. We're not even talking about, like, a path or a hiking she, trail. Like, like and No, but, like, she was Uh-oh. wearing, like, a dress and, like... <laughs> Like a full-on colonial era, like get up, like it was so unbelievable. If you're gonna get off topic, I'm gonna slightly get off topic Do because it. I've only ever walked out of one movie. We, we yeah, we've walked out. Shade of walked out. I was like 13 or 14 years old, <laughs> and I'm probably gonna piss off so many people when I say this, but it was, wow, name just slips me. Give me a second, <laughs> I'll find it. No, it's I don't want to explain it because it'll it's. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I fucking walked out of that movie. And that's, I feel like that's, there's, a, that's another genre of horror movie where it's just like overstimulation. <laughs> it's horror for you. Yeah, like ah. think of like Edward Scissorhands, just that kind of like m- mental fuck with your brain with shapes and weird images. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just, like it's like uneasy. It's not horror like you're afraid. It's, I don't know, like, uh, the gothic horror is always like that. It's always, like, just unnerving and uncomfortable. It's It's got, like, that Nightmare Before Christmas vibe yeah. where it's just, everything's just kind of off kilter and it just <laughs> makes you very uncomfortable. Well, you know, that's Tim Burton, right? Like, yeah. even, like, his Batman, even though they were, like, the the best of the original, like, 90s Batman, like, they were, like, off kilter and weird. Like, Batman is, like, this weird, sadistic grin all the time right like he's like he like threw the guy down the the shaft with the bomb and it's just like grinning it's like very off-putting i think i think that's a good way to describe his entire body of work it's just off-putting i would i would definitely i feel like i would definitely enjoy comic book horror i feel like that could be oh sure but here's the thing i feel like so much of that and you you'll probably know more about this than me of course but I feel like a lot of that devolves into being extra gory because it's easier to draw a ripped off dripping bloody limb <laughs> than to recreate that. Yeah. And you know what? I haven't read a lot of horror comics. Like I've read, I've read the ones that everyone has to read. You know what I mean? What does that even mean? I've never well, read like if you're <laughs> If you're like a comic book fan, there are comics that you read. If you're a comic book fan and you haven't read um, anything from, I don't know, Guinness, he does some comic runs. The Cat-Eyed Boy, 
uh, is something that comes to mind. So it's like, it's like being a Shakespeare purist, but you still have to read the Apocrypha because <laughs> at the end of the day, like you still have to understand and know that material to argue against it. Sure. But also a lot of like mainstream comics make segue into the horror, like Arkham Asylum. All right. Don't get too nerdy on us now. All right. Well, just, you know, I don't want to go too far, but like Arkham Asylum, I think there's a subtitle, something about a serious house, a serious house on serious earth. I think it's called it's from like the late 80s. It's like peak horror and it's a Batman book. Here's the thing. I want someone to fact check you. So anybody listening, just to, in some way, shape or form. <laughs> I'll look it up right now. You can't fact check yourself. I will. I'll show it to you. We're on, we're on camera. I really walked into this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. A Serious House on Serious Earth, 1989. I hate when you're right. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... It, but it, you're right, though. It's different, and it can, like, devolve really quickly. There's a lot of books in general, like, comic books in general, like, geared towards adults when they get gory. It's just kind of like, yeah, but you, now you're just doing it because you can, you know? It's kind of the reason I stayed away from... Is it... What is it? Invisible on Amazon? Sure, sure. Yeah, boy, there are points where it's like just seeing it in like a bright, the bright light of day is, is yeah. really just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's extra, extra gory. There's also, okay, so there's, because apparently this is our ADD episode, there's also <laughs> that genre of horror that only works when the twist hasn't been given away. Mm, mm. Um, like and rewatching think... a movie with a twist sometimes isn't. Yeah, and the movie I think of is, uh, and I, I think it's called Orphan, where yeah. you think it's this little girl, like, 12, that's been adopted, but she's really, like, some, like, 35-year-old serial killer. <laughs> Dude, that movie had me. Like, you want to talk it about a true. horror movie was I was true. into? I was like, I was like, jeez, no, you are not. And I, like, I'm not great at calling movies, but I was watching it, and I was like, she just doesn't look that young <laughs> that brings me to think about like well what's what's necessary for a good horror movie right and like sometimes good horror movies aren't good movies sometimes good horror movies aren't the most cohesive story or the most like and and it doesn't mean also they're 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 the goriest thing either but like there's elements to horror that i think are pivotal to creating a, a good horror film I think there is a reason that cult classic horror films and like B genre horror films are so prevalent in the field. It's almost because it's become an aesthetic you thrive for. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, Oh, the, the genetic opera that Paris Hilton was in. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm just thinking of all these like really off the cuff, horror type things that I've ever kind of enjoyed. And it's always been the sort of weird stuff that isn't trying to convince me someone's fingers are being ripped off, but is <laughs> instead like psychologically forcing me to reevaluate certain life choices and decisions. For me, and maybe it's where I get my tech nerdiness from or because of my tech nerdiness. I don't know what came before the chicken or the egg, but like my appreciation for special effects even if they are kind of gory is like oh that's so gory but it's so cool like i like one of the best special effects that comes to mind 
uh, is from American Werewolf in London, I think it's called. And the transformation. Is that Tom Cruise? No, no, it's, uh, oh, I don't remember the guy's name. It, it didn't have anyone that's in, like, big now in it, I don't think. Gotcha. Um, but the transformation, his first transformation that they they show you all of, it's like the most agonizing, I don't know, 45 to 60 seconds of film. It's just, like, the practical effects that they built of this just werewolf person just turning into a werewolf. And like, you just, you see his bones moving, his like facial features changing. And it's all before CG. You said said Paris, right? Is it Paris or London? There is one for both. There's a number of them. Yeah. 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 This one has Tom Everett Scott in it. I'm sorry. I had to look it up. I wanted to see the images you were talking about, but I think that one's it because that's horrifying. To be honest, every one of them has that scene it's almost almost like the you know it's the that's moment. the yeah the iconic moment is the the moment when the first human character changes into a werewolf yeah yeah and it's a little different from movie to movie but specifically i think it's i think you're right i think it's in paris that you see like the whole like structure of his body change it was sort of back to your question of what makes a good horror film. Well, yeah, for me, that's one of the things is like yeah. excellent practical effects. And and which brings that whole conversation about uh, a digital effect versus the sort of a physical effect. Sure. And I and I think that's where I started to fade away when it all started to become mm-hmm. CGI mm-hmm. because I talk I think about these movies that I watched as a kid and so, sure, there's a nostalgic level to, oh, it brings back these memories of when I was younger and I was a kid and I was feeling these things. But also, I kind of just argue they're better movies. Sure, sure. They're yeah, just yeah. more interesting and engaging to watch. There's more visually happening for the eye that you can recreate in CGI. But it's, I don't know, it. And I, I say that now in 2021, it's like you can almost not even tell the difference anymore. But there but was you know this 30 year gap where it was pretty obvious that the CGI was not. I don't up think to bar. horror films, or at least the bulk of them, are there yet. Like they, we're not talking about multi, like multi billion dollar blockbuster like Marvel movies where they, you know, all of their budget goes to like hiring top talent and special effects like that's where all the money goes like we're talking about like movies that still operate on a modest budget that may or may not see any of that money back so the cg when it's there always just looks uncanny valley and not in a way that makes it spookier it's not adding to the story right it kind of takes the tracks it kind of takes you out because a lot of horror films to their credit the things happening around the horror unless it's like some sort of horror comedy flick are generally really based in reality. They're generally really based in like an everyday experience. You know what I mean? It's a family going through a hard time. It's a individual going through like a psychological break. It's not like a fantastical setting. So it's all of a sudden you'll be watching these, these, you know, these real life settings and then there's like this weird CG ghost that just like it's made it's made out of clay. So you're just like, uh, what? Yeah, Why? Ghostbusters did a really good job of finding that balance of yeah, yeah, you know, 
doing a sort of projection, a sort of CGI that still felt real because of the medium mm-hmm. of a ghost that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. The fact that the elements of a ghost are unknown or not non-existent, they could sort of make up whatever they needed to to help make it make sense. Sure, sure. That's a good example of like a spooky time movie that's not necessarily scary, but has like all the elements and bells and whistles of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the 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 prerequisites, but it really is more of like an action flick than anything else. Yeah. I was also thinking about really classic horror films mm-hmm. like The Shining. I'd only just sure. seen The Shining a couple of years back and I don't know how to have this conversation without sounding like back in the day films were better, but there's this, there's this visual, there's this painstaking attention to visual detail Mm. and, and, and scene balance and allowing certain, I don't know. There's just something about like, but also then you can think about the culture that those directors were creating and they were awful. Mm -hmm. Like, Kubrick as a director was just not a nice human being. Right, right. So it's like, okay, the film is iconic and started a revolution, but the process in which you got there isn't good. So it almost makes your product invalid. There's, there's always going to be that element of people that will insist that you separate the art from the artist. I've never been good at that. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, I get that, especially since like, through the scope of time, no one will survive. You know what I mean? Like sure. the next thing that is decided, rightfully so or otherwise, that it's like untenable behavior, you know, or whatever. I think I think if we had any more detail about Shakespeare than we do now, we'd probably not be doing Shakespeare anymore. You know what I mean? So like that idea of, you know, judging the past by your present values. Right. Yeah. Which like, I don't know, I think there's some merits to that, but also I think there's like a larger conversation there. And, like, horror movies have a history, too, of being questionable, objectifying women or, you know, the whole black people die first trope. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, those things that are problematic kind of about horror movies. But that I think, funny enough, like, and maybe it was just because it was getting stale and they needed new material. That's, like, one of the, the horror trends are one of the first trends that started to, like, cannibalize themselves yeah but think about deep blue sea like l cool j lived (laughs) and they joked about it it was it was this meta conversation with the audience that he was constantly having about not being the black guy that's going to die in that movie exactly exactly and then even some of the elements of scream you know what i mean i was just going to say scream absolutely they they turned a lot of the original horror elements i mean now scream is you know, now thought to be the cliche. But when Scream came out, they turned a lot of those slasher flick elements on their head. What was the spoof horror film? Oh, God, scary. The scary movie series. I, I had no business liking as much as I did. <laughs> yeah, I liked the first like three or eight. But after a while, they got old, you know, I think I think I only ever saw the first two. They still make those types of movies. They made a Hunger Games one. I think they made like a Wizarding School one. They like continue to make the not another like yeah, whatever. The last one of those I saw was superhero movie. Tracy Morgan played like a an Xavier. Yeah, and you know you've made it when you made it to one of those films. Parallel. <laughs> that is not where careers go to die at all. No, not at all. I mean, comedians tend to end up in those and then do okay. 
afterwards. Like they're the top biller, you know, in the movie, and you know they they tend to survive. <laughs> who is the or who's the Pineapple Express guy? Uh, James Franco or no Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> they had a horror film where like the world was ending. Yeah, and it was weird, and it was. I remember it being better than the attention that it got, but then it was also yeah, it was like a, one of those like an okay Hollywood, movie. Hollywood bro films or Hollywood exactly. like they, club they films. literally just called up all their friends and spent yeah. all their connections on that movie because yeah. that was just a bunch of Hollywood A-list. They were even playing themselves to like playing themselves. Yep. It was like, it, to me, I, the vibe from that movie is like an A-list film festival. Like you shoot a movie in 72 hours. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's what they did for much ado though. And it's uh, in Whedon's backyard, right? I love that idea. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but it's a play. You know what I mean? It's a play. It's like it kind of lends itself to that type of, you know, you're shooting it over like a few days. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, horror play. Horror plays. I haven't seen a lot of horror plays. I mean, you've got your like. You've got your, your straight, your Dracula. You know what I mean? Titus. You got your Duchess of Malfi, <laughs> Rape of Lucretia. I think I think that was from a different time, though, right? Like, for any of our listeners that don't know, like, um, Duchess of Malfi, uh, these older shows were, like, contemporaries of Shakespeare or, you know, written closer to his time than ours. I, I feel like more shows, I think this is true about all plays that were written back then. So many plays had so many elements of what we consider specific things now you know what i mean like some of his dramas were actually kind of funny some you know some horror some plays like based in a more of a like spiritual horror were were actually like just like dramas with supernatural elements like kind of attached to them but i mean that would be the modern day horror oh yeah absolutely duchess of melfi is one of the most disturbing faustus shows ever faustus yeah. yeah 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 for sure a lot of medieval like morality plays play real hard on like you know because it's, it's about religion so they, they exactly you, know. you throw god and the devil in the conversation and it instantly becomes a thriller you know what i mean exactly exactly Ooh, what about that movie like the red circle or the dot or something where it was like 28 <laughs> people in a room on red dots and like if you stepped off the red dot you died it was so uh, weird yeah it's saw started that right like contestant horror movie yeah the unwilling volunteer yeah it's like a meta like a meta i think i think i don't know maybe it's i'm wrong but it's like a meta um commentary on like reality shows right like kind of creating some fake facade around real a real life scenario which brings us to our sort of b-roll content that we were talking about squid games the newest sensation yeah. the biggest thing on the internet and the thing i'm avoiding the thing i'm also avoiding <laughs> but for very different reasons i'm <laughs> avoiding it because one of my friends said that her husband watched it and she didn't want to but she was listening to it and it sounded gross and you want to know what i'm not ready for that <laughs> <laughs> everything i've seen of it first of all it's a lot of gun violence People, that's how a lot of people get executed in the shows. They just get shot. And I don't know. I've always, I've always because kind of it's felt quick like... and it's stark and it gives you a, right. a, a sharp visual representation. It's like of by the end of instant, episode yeah. one, I feel like I'd be like, all right, well, I kind of don't really care about anyone now because they're all just subs- kind of expendable in a weird. That's way. how I felt about uh, Game of Thrones because it was mm-hmm. like they opened up the first season 
and killed so many characters that they introduced in that season that it was kind of like, oh, all right, so I just don't get a favorite character. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of his style, though. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of like that style, personally. Not to say I would ever want to read Game of Thrones, and I only <laughs> mostly enjoyed the show. I never get connected to characters in a show anyway because for me it's always i always look at it like you're an actor on a screen uh, and as much as i appreciate the work much. you're doing i've seen too much you've seen too much so when you put me in that situation of no one is allowed to get attached to these characters i'm like okay we're all on an even playing field now <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not attached you're not attached it's we're good i also feel like the gratuitousness it and maybe it's on purpose, right? Maybe it's some sort of, again, maybe it's a, a meta commentary on violence. But it's like, at some point, even if you care about the characters, the effect of an on-screen death is diminished when you've seen, I don't know, looks like there's over like 100 contestants on that show. You know what I mean? Back to Squid Game. Yeah, yeah. So I always feel like movies like that, shows like that, I, there gets to a point where I'm just like, okay. Well, it, it better at least be interesting. You better be at least killing people in an interesting way, because otherwise I'm bored. Here's the thing. From what I understand from the sort of social media, throwing it at our face aspect of Squid Game, is that there are a lot of subtleties in storytelling that, if they're allowed multiple seasons, could unfold in a really interesting way. Like, certain characters... Uh, conversation starters uh like pins and birthdays and people's like padlocks not being locked mm. to like for like clues and hints so it feels like it's one of those shows it's like an escape room <laughs> it almost feels like a show that you could watch a couple times and start to pick out really distinct hints and clues to lead you down a sort of rabbit hole down a path of trying to figure out what the next step is because with such a plain premise of fail the child's game get shot there has to be something else to sure it. sure we'll see that so then that brings us back to our like building a better scary movie so would you say that kind of i kind of hinted at it earlier but like would you say that the circumstances around the horror are important like the will that also determine whether or not it's a good horror movie or show i feel like it's a sort of balance of all the things we've talked about you, sure. you know you you want you want some gore but you don't want it to be too much you want a story that is not too complicated but still engages your average watcher you want avatars in your mm. horror movies mm. i think that's a huge part of a good horror film is to have really good character development because you, characters, yeah. you want your people watching to be like, oh God, I'm this one and you're that one. And it's, it's that <laughs> whole Harry Potter phenomenon of <laughs> you watch something so good that you start to label your friend groups based on that content. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, think, I think that that may, definitely makes a good show or a good movie. But I can think of a handful of like good horror flicks, again, that have like, shit character development yeah <laughs> that like that like that really like the whole point is that you're never meant to care you know you're never meant to like sharknado that whole think about series. like every yeah exactly sharknado you know, they tr they do try to shoehorn a little bit of like a, a family story into that it's usually like the go-to thing to do if you don't want to work too hard is just to 
rely on a family dynamic because <laughs> everybody yeah. is so familiar with them that you don't need to give any other background. Do you want to know what I just realized about Sharknado? Was that it, it's it literally jumped the shark on purpose like it's that was the whole concept the whole concept was to see how high all the sharks that shark could jump <laughs> i think space i think that's the last place they brought it was space Did they really i it was like i believe it it was like sharknado they turned the sharks into like they turned the tornado into a like a nuclear fallout tornado or like a radioactive tornado. The sharks were radioactive. The tornado was radioactive. And it also went up into like, I'm pretty sure like there was like a space station involved. I don't sure. remember. I feel like it's also like they stretched out different natural disasters as well. They started they doing did. like yeah, earthquakes yeah. and volcanoes. And... They did the volcanoes and tarantulas. Disaster, horror, comedy. like Another genre of thing to touch on towards the end of our episode i i suppose would be horror video games right because you mentioned the idea of spiders and there's this whole new rage sort of flowing Mm -hmm. through the gaming community about accessibility in your games and Mm -hmm. some people are viscerally physically crippled by the sight of a spider so there are some games that allow you to mod them in ways that cut out that level arachnophobia of mods where you can mm-hmm. replace spiders with other creatures um i don't know how i feel about that i don't either i don't know how i feel about phobias in general like Same. i feel like there's like i don't like creepy crawly things but to call it a flat out phobia yeah like i don't know if i have a strong enough that strong of a reaction to anything to and maybe it's anything. just because i'm dead i'm dead inside but like... that's what i'm saying <laughs> like once you reach that level of dead inside phobias <laughs> don't make any sense i'm no more afraid of one danger dangerous thing over another like potential dangerous thing exactly. i don't know but yeah horror video games so you know how i said like there's probably not a decent or relatively decent horror movie that i haven't watched there are several if not all of them horror games that i have never played and the reason is because i'm always so much more immersed in video game that like video game scares shake me to my core and i just can't deal with them (laughs) and i think part of that is because it's so much easier to disassociate when you're playing a video game because you are no longer yourself you are quite literally a character in a game. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, there's a game that came out. It has, the second one wasn't as good as the first one. It was called Condemned. It came out, I think, on the Xbox 360. Might have been, yeah, it was the 360 PlayStation 2 era. And I played that entire game at night in one sitting. <laughs> and And it, like, seriously, like, messed me up for days. And at that point, I was just like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to do this again. Yeah, I don't really play horror video games. I did play one, though. And you want to know why I played it? I I played it because I think this genre of video game really knocked the concept out of the park. And it's called Until Dawn. And Mm, it's this... I feel like I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a video game where they literally hired actors to play out a series of situations. And you can play this game... And you have to make choices along the way. Oh, I see. And you have to time certain things. And you have to, like, hold the controller perfectly still while the creepy bad guy walks by so he doesn't sense you. Sure. And it plays like a choose-your-own-adventure game 
that you can play with a group because that's why it was so fun because I played it with like four people. We got together about four times over a two or three week period and we would get together a couple hours at night and play this video game and just pass the controller around (laughs) because it wasn't an intense game of like a a first person shooter or something where you have to be good or talented at it. It was a narrative game. Yeah, It was a narrative game and we all really kind of played it together and it was fun because when you're holding the controller the entire group can be like go right go right go right and you're like no i gotta go left (laughs) and then you know it either works out or it doesn't but it creates a group conversation it creates a group dynamic yeah yeah there's a there's a um video game like horror video game kind of staple that it's like usually it's like a it's like a partially scripted game you'll get to certain points within the progression where like things happen no matter what you do no matter what you do yeah yeah yeah, which like is like an element of storytelling that isn't entirely born kind of from the genre of or born from the medium you know Uh, and then horror games aren't the only ones that do it but it's to me they're always scarier when it happens just as you're playing like things that happen just as you're playing like you look down a hallway and there's nothing there's nothing there and then you like pan away and look down and then there's something there all of a sudden yeah where it's like oh like like that's some clever coding and also like that's the type of thing that makes me like oh my god (laughs) like i said my brain is too gullible for a lot of that Mm -hmm. and especially when i play video games which is part of the reason i watch other people play (laughs) video games but even then i can't watch the horror because i just i can't even the resident evil game the most recent one that came out Mm -hmm. i watched like bits and pieces of it but it was horrifying that big giant woman (laughs) she's no joke she's frightening (laughs) in more than one way yeah yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely like intimidating the resident evil games like the original ones those are really good because like they were fixed camera so like you had to like encounter the game on the game's terms like you had no you had there was no safe space to get to unless it was showing it like unless you could see it because they they were not giving you the benefit of being able to control how you were viewing it was definitely that style game yeah yeah definitely not it's not gonna allow you to just win it because it's a game you bought right (laughs) or at least it's it's not gonna it's because there's a certain point i think with most games that like it becomes winnable, right? So you progress far enough to where you either hone the skills enough or are given the skills. I still haven't reached that point in Dark Souls 3. So. <laughs> well, Dark Souls, that's a different that's a different beast. It's a horror of a different nature, right? <laughs> I start that game every couple months and make it to about the same spot. <laughs> and then I'm just like, I give up. Well, I quit. for our listeners, Dark, Dark Souls is probably one of the most difficult games because it's deliberately created to be difficult there are no walkthroughs there are no indicators there are no a walkthrough wouldn't even help you in that game (laughs) are tips it just drops you in the middle of this world and says figure out what these buttons do and how the world works and we'll kind of allow some things to unfold but not naturally sure yeah absolutely and it's it's actually kind of a horror setting because it's like this weird like in between world of like grotesque monstrosities and undead ish things weird giant three-eyed monsters trying to yeah 
destroy you and shoot fire at you and uh, japan is like next level horror <laughs> like japan japan has some next level horror and i think it's maybe just their relationship with unknown supernatural you know things maybe that that culturally there's something there that just makes them more in tune with that feeling of that odd feeling of grotesque horror. i also wonder of like how the political the world political agenda and culture sort of drove them to that i sort mm. of think of the idea of you know dropping these nuclear bombs and doing these nuclear tests in big open oceans and from there you start to have these fears of giant Godzilla type creatures. So it well, becomes yeah. Yeah, yeah. so ingrained in the everyday conversation of how you cope with trauma that it becomes an enlightening form of content to create. It's no longer something that's shied away from. It is embraced. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's the, the, the parallels and allegory, you know, that carries in all art is especially true in horror. You know, it's how we deal with, Horror is how we deal with the unknown and then also what appears to be impossible evil. What appears to be like acts that are so devoid of empathy that they are just true evil and not being able to control it or, you know, the onset of it. Sometimes there's rules in horror movies, but most of the time it's... It's like a manifestation of how we deal with just abject evil. Yeah, and quite frankly, I think that's a great spot to stop on. I think that sums it up really nicely. It's this way of dealing with the unknown and how do we cope with abject fear, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, this is fun. It was a nice little weird conversation. Yeah. Tangential to what we normally talk about, but also uh, kind of getting us into the spooks. We touched on a lot. So that's a great audience participation. Hey, you out there listening, we know you have some form we know you're of there. social media. We know you're there. We know you're there. We get the analytics. We know you're there. Yeah. What is one of the horror genres? Yeah, what's your favorite horror thing? Yeah, what's a thing that stood out to you in this episode we didn't even talk about books oh books carly's gonna be so upset we, i mean we kind of talked about like dracula and <laughs> sure, frankenstein's sure. monster it was probably the shortest part but... it was but we also talked about it in its relation to movies so yeah tell us about your favorite horror books we didn't talk about that enough maybe we'll come back and do another little bit about that i don't know maybe we'll do an extra little bonus episode you out there the ones listening to us talk to us we need it desperately. <laughs> you can do this on the Twitters and you do that at act list pod. You can also check us out on Facebook. Where can they do that? Mike? Facebook.com slash active listening pod. Join our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Come check us out. Join in the conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. 
Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.